All aboard the MBIT Podcast with Seamus Madan. Welcome everyone back to another episode of the MBIT Podcast. I'm your host, Seamus Madan, and today we are joined by our very special guest, Bill George, making his second appearance on the show. He's a professor over at Harvard Business School, the former CEO of Medtronic, former executive vice president over at Honeywell, and former board member of Target, Goldman Sachs, ExxonMobil, Novartis, and the World Economics Forum USA. As one of the top and most recognizable leaders in the world, Professor George joins us to discuss how leaders and teams can effectively build during a down market, the leadership situation over at Twitter, and much more. He's also the author of Emerging Leader Edition of True North with Zach Clayton, which we'll have in the episode link down in the description below for anyone interested in checking it out or purchasing the book. So first off, Professor George, it's an honor to have you back on the show today. Nice to be invited back, Seamus. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So let's first start off with what piece of advice that you would give to leaders, maybe ones who have never led during a down market before. And these could be like these next generation leaders that you talk about in your book on how they can effectively build and grow their firm during this down market. Well, I always told myself when I was CEO of Medtronic, Seamus, I am not my stock price. Even if it was going up, which it went up a lot or when periods it went down, I think we get too caught up in these external measures. So I would say stay stay on course of your true north, uh, your your beliefs, your values, and your principles. And if you do that, you'll come through this time very well. By the way, actually, I think down markets present more opportunities than up markets because typically in up markets, everyone's doing well, everyone's spending a lot, and it's hard to gain market share. It's hard to get new things going. But I think in down markets, it's actually a better opportunity to be creative and aggressive and go out there and put a winning hat on and figure out how to do it. Yeah, those are some great points. And in terms of the down market, one of the side effects of this is firms attempting to cut costs, which can be through layoffs. Over the past few years, we've seen many examples of poor ways to lay off people. For example, when Better.com CEO fired hundreds of workers on a Zoom, and it can be one of the toughest things for a leader to do. But when it does come to it, how should the executive or CEO handle layoffs in an ethical and respectful way? And is there a right way to do it? Well, first of all, I think this all starts back when things are going well, which they have been for the last number of years. Be careful about hiring. I always ask the question of Medtronic, if we hire this person, are you prepared to support them through a downtime for the rest of the time they're with Medtronic and well and beyond retirement plans and healthcare, which we, so I think that's the first thing is don't overhire. We saw, particularly on the tech side, we saw a lot of companies way overhire. They're making so much money that they just kept hiring and hiring and hiring and they had, they have too many people. Now, if you do face a layoff, uh, I think there are many things you can do. First of all, I think as my friend Hubert Jolie that I feature in the Emerging Leader Edition says, you know, rather than looking at laying your people off, look at how you can take out internal costs. See what your suppliers can do to support you during this difficult time. And only look at layoffs as a last resort. Now, during COVID, a lot of people had to do that just because there was no business. But I think if you can do, if you do have to lay off, people do it in a humane way. One obvious way is to put out an early retirement plan for people that maybe were thinking about retiring anyway, they can retire early and make it financially lucrative to them. I would not lay off people on the basis of seniority because you may get rid of most talented young people in doing that. And then I would not do it across the board. And I would 
make sure each part of the business had to determine people that actually they could not afford to carry forward. And they made each of the calls individually rather than some kind of mass layoff. And the absolute worst thing you ever want to do is, is fire someone or have layoffs that come to people as a surprise. No, have the leaders go to them and sit down and say, you know, I feel terrible about this, but we're going to have to let some of you go or we're going to have to shut down this factory. You know, go there yourself. Be out there with the people. And don't, sure, you don't want to send out a memo or a Twitter post or anything like that. I think you have to be there and show us some level of humanity. The other thing we did, I think we only had one layoff in Eisenhower Tribe, but we had a job fair. And we'd bring a lot of companies in from our area to see who would like to hire our people. And so we gave people that opportunity as well to find other, other opportunities. And at senior levels, we did outplacement for a lot of people that they had a chance to go to an outplacement counselor and figure out what they want to do with their lives. Plus, we gave them a generous settlement, if you will, a ter- termination settlement. Yeah, I know these days, some of the time people write a recommendation or something along those lines and send them off their way. And that be pretty much it. But I think going the extra step and like with you did at Medtronic, creating that job fair can go a long way. And um, one of the most recent companies that has been going through a wave recently is Twitter. So recently, Elon Musk acquired the platform for $44 billion and reportedly sleeping in a conference room over at Twitter headquarters and converted it into a mini hotel. Now, clearly, he doesn't want to lose the billions of dollars he spent on the platform for it to just go bankrupt, which results in him spending a lot of time over at Twitter. Now, Elon does also run multiple other companies like Tesla and SpaceX. But since the acquisition of Twitter, Tesla stock has been down around half, but their financials are still performing very well. I know some are concerned about him spending maybe too much time at Twitter. But if I were to bet, I think it could be a little bit of both. I think he's using the time at Twitter to see how well the Tesla team can perform without him. So for example, up until the past few years, I believe Tesla was very Elon dependent. But as the company grows, for example, Warren Buffett says to invest in a business any fool could run. So I think he's testing that. So he started a few years ago allowing executives of Tesla leadership to, I believe, speak at a shareholder meetings. And it's not necessarily a tactic, but something that Steve Jobs did do back at Apple. When he was sick, Tim Cook led Apple, and he helped Jobs feel more comfortable when he eventually did leave Apple that the company was in good hands. But what do you think about the situation do you think it could be a test for Tesla's leadership or is it something else? Well, I think that's a very thoughtful and generous explanation of what Elon's doing right now. Look, Elon's the greatest inventor of our era. Steve Jobs perhaps was of the previous era, Seamus. But uh, I think uh, he's made a big mistake. Every company needs a leader. There's no such thing as a leaderless organization that can succeed in the long term. Somebody's got to make the hard calls. And Elon needs to be there at Tesla. They have such enormous potential. But as you said, the stock was down 50%. But you know, they've lost the second most amount of shareholder value in history in the last year of any corporation in history, second only to Mark Zuckerberg over at Meta. And, uh, you know, both these guys, well, at least Zuckerberg's still on the job. I think Musk has got to get somebody to run Twitter and get back to running Tesla. They're, the potential is so great, so vast. And this guy is such an inventor. I'd much rather see him out creating with new renewable sources of energy or taking his battery industry to the whole energy field. I think there's so much more with his genius he can do. And I think at Twitter, I'm not sure where he's going. I think he's kind of going in the, the wrong direction. 
and trying to just open it up to anyone who wants to say anything. And I think that's going to prove to be a huge mistake. A lot of people are going to leave Twitter. I think that does make sense. I think Tesla does have the ability to become a multi-trillion dollar company, right? They have a lot of access to verticals that they can expand on, like you mentioned with the batteries. But if you were to nominate someone to be a leader, who would be the best person to lead Twitter and why? Uh, (laughs) I actually would nominate Sheryl Sandberg, the former COO of Facebook. I think Zuckerberg kind of threw threw her under the bus when they had the problems back with Cambridge Analytica three, four years, three years ago. And uh, I think Zuckerberg used her as a scapegoat for that and kind of sidelined her, took a lot of her responsibilities away. And I think he made a big mistake because she was in many ways his mentor and his counselor. And now he has no one around to counsel him and he's making a lot of bad decisions. But uh, I think Cheryl would be terrific. Whether she'd come back, as you know, her husband a number of years ago, I think it was 10 years ago, passed away and she had to raise two young kids. But I think if she had a chance to reform Twitter, she'd be the perfect person. And she has a clear set of values, a brilliant woman and a great leader. And I'd love to see her have that job. Definitely. And I don't know if she'd work for Elon Musk, however. <laughs> That's a whole that other question. True. That is true. One of the things that some people do have an issue with. But uh, speaking of Mark Zuckerberg, do you think he should still lead Facebook? They're down over 70% their stock, at least from all-time highs. And investors, as you mentioned, seem to be losing faith in his leadership as they have just a P.E. ratio of mm. 10.94, which is extraordinarily low for a large, profitable consumer technology company. If he's not the right person to lead Facebook, it's it possible to replace him with a leader who could recover the culture of the firm or is it too late to do so no it's not too late but i think they better get moving and you know mark has voting control of the shares so effectively he owns the company even though it's he has a small fraction of the total and he's really harming himself right now without clarity of leadership mark, mark has no moral compass i feel sad for him seamus because you know he, he became ceo at 19 he's been ceo for 19 years that's too long and it's time to bring in a CEO and for him to be chair of the board. And he's a genius. And he can still, as chair of the board, he can be chief creative officer and still focus on meta and virtual reality. But somebody's got to make some hard calls. I think virtual reality is not ready for prime time and certainly not spending $10 billion a year. I think it, you know, it could be five years more of that. That's $50 billion. It could be 10 years. Maybe a lot more than that as it builds up. So he may be onto something. He may not. But someone's got to restore Facebook with some integrity and some sense of protection of our privacy and other issues that Facebook is facing every day, what to take down, what to leave up. And he has no moral clarity. And I think if you're going to do that, you need to have some moral clarity. Like a good example of someone who does is Satya Nadella at Microsoft. And as you know, under Satya's leadership, they bought LinkedIn. LinkedIn was already a great platform under Jeff Weiner. Now, they wouldn't even consider themselves, to be clear, a social media platform. They think they're a, a networking, professional networking platform, which is probably true. But I can tell you, I'm on all three platforms, and the caliber of comments on LinkedIn is vastly superior to anything else. Because Seamus Maiden was going to have a great career ahead is not going to go out and post something really dumb that, you know, somebody that calls themselves, my Twitter handle is druggy at midnight. You know, you're just <laughs> not going to do that. And yet you're kind of putting out your whole resume and your desires and who you are. An employer might see that 20 years from now. And so you're going to be very thoughtful. And I get more thoughtful comments and dialogue on LinkedIn than anything. So I think that's the role model. 
or social media, even if they call themselves a professional networking organization. And one of the traps I think Mark Zuckerberg has fallen into, I think has been hubris. So how can leaders balance between being confident in their leadership skills and being humble? It is hubris. I mean, here we have Musk, who's the wealthiest person on the planet. At the peak, he was worth $250 billion. You know, to my knowledge, he's never given a dime away. I don't know if he spends any time with people who are less fortunate than he is. Mark is actually, he and his wife, uh, have actually given some significant funds away to Zuckerberg General Hospital in San Francisco and elsewhere. So he's actually done some things. But I think one of the ways is to stay grounded in who you are. Getting engaged in the community, getting engaged with people whose lives are less fortunate than yours, and really understanding humanity at a deeper level. Because I do think hubris has taken on a lot of people. You probably remember the Enron story with Jeff Skilling and and Ken Lay that got caught up in that. This is an old story. I mean, and then we give a lot of money to a guy like Sam Bankman-Fried. You know, I mean, who is this guy? You know, he never achieved anything. Zuckerberg and 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 Musk actually achieved some great things to their credit. So, but I do think it catches you. And I see that happen with Elon too, of getting so caught up in your own greatness that somehow you got all the answers. Well, look, you might have all the answers for Tesla and for the future of electric vehicles. That means you have answers for a social media site, which is a whole different uh, field. And understanding that it's like a great surgeon. My son is a great surgeon, a head and neck cancer surgeon, but doesn't mean he could delve into the financial field and understand what he was doing. It doesn't mean that brilliant hedge fund people on Wall Street could get into medical, complex medical surgery issues. So I think you, you may be brilliant in this field, but don't think you can do it anywhere. Definitely. And in terms of the Sam Bankman-Fried thing, I think it's something that has been happening, not specifically, but in general for centuries, right? Uh, Investors during a time of a boom cycle, especially with new types of technologies like Web3 and NFTs, will generally tend to oversee a lot of things. For example, I believe they didn't have a board to oversee any of their financials, right? So it's just Sam Bankman-Fried controlling it. Is there a way to stop this cycle of investors getting way overhyped over something, losing a bunch of money and people losing money? Or is it just something that's going to keep continuing? And if so, how can consumers protect themselves uh, on their end? Well, we all talk about investors, Seamus. Investors ought to be a lot smarter than that. And there are some brilliant people, people a lot smarter than I am, Seamus, like Mark Andreessen and Andreessen Horowitz and Massimo Son of SoftBank that invested heavily. Hey, this guy's just investing in other people's money. Now, for all my criticism of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, they're investing in their own money. This is their money. I mean, they have the ownership. And so, uh, you know, it's, it, they, they have to sink or swim. They're not. Yeah, but Sam, who I never met, is just fooling around with other people's money. And it was almost like a big game. First of all, is he serious? He's in the Bahamas. And, you know, and I've heard some pretty raunchy stories about what was going on there between the relationship between them and Alameda. I won't get on to these in your show. But what are these people doing every day? And he's spending half his time in Washington saying he's going to give a billion dollars or whatever he's going to give a million dollars, I guess, to Democratic candidates and a million dollars Republican. He just he's got effective altruism. Like we give we've given away half our net worth. Now, we don't have this kind of money, but we give away half our net worth, charitable causes, including our family foundation. I can tell you, you know, there's no magic to this effective altruism. Yeah, it's just good philanthropy. So I, I don't know how people got so charmed by him. And that's what worries me. He hadn't proven himself. 
you know, he what has he actually done in his lifetime? And I can't see that he actually done anything. Yeah, it comes back a little bit to the not too big to fail type of movement. But now that we transition a little bit, purpose-driven leaders coach their teammates. It's a topic you talked about in your new book. What's the difference between coaching and directing? And then why is coaching a more effective means of leading a team to success? Well, think, Seamus, when you go into the work into the workplace, you're, you're in it now, but when you get into a full-time job this your career, think about the kind of person you'd like to work for. And do you want somebody that just directs you, tells you what to do, and, and doesn't give you any kind of support and just says, you're on your own, see how you do, and then comes back and writes up a performance review for you, which gets filed at the end of the year? I don't think that's what you want. To me, what great leaders do is they need to coach their teammates. We're going out of the World Cup right now. The great the people that are making it have really great coaches. And the first thing a coach has to do today is show that they care about their people on their team. If they don't care about them, the people are never going to give you mind, body, and they're not going to give you a heart and soul. They might give you their bodies. They may play the, they may kind of go through the motions, but you really care about them. And I think that's the first thing. And the second thing, again, the soccer analogy is, is pertinent here. You know, put people in their sweet spot, play to their strengths. Don't take a guy like Leo Messi and put him in goal at five foot six. You know, let people play to their strengths and give them the freedom to do it, but to play to their strengths where they're really good and they're highly motivated. Don't put a, a marketing genius into being CFO uh, or a job is to be conservative. And then once you get everyone organized around their strengths, then your job is going to play together as a team. How do you do that? They play together as a team because they're aligned around purpose and values. And that's the key is can you get the individual leader's goals aligned with your company's goals? And can you get their values consistent? If you don't have consistent values in an organization, if people don't believe in the mission and purpose of it, they aren't aligned with it, it's not going to work. I say to people in Medtronic, look, our goal here is to restore people to full life and health, extend life and alleviate pain. Okay, now, Seamus, if that doesn't turn you on, you know, go to work somewhere else and go to work for Merrill Lynch. But if it does turn you on, you'll have a great career. And you cannot have people with different values. If we're going to, like oarsmen, use another analogy, if you're going to pull the oars, everyone's got to row in the same direction at the same cadence. So, and then I would say a great coach challenges. you. There's nothing soft about this. That I know, I see in you, Seamus, so much potential, which I do, by the way. And I want to challenge you. You know, you're not bringing us your best game. Or you could do so much more. Let me challenge you to take on more. Here's some of the qualities you need to develop to have the skills to do it. And then finally, I'm in there to help you. I'll actually show you how I'll help you. I'll get you the support you need. Who are the people you need around you to help you on a regular basis? What are the resources you need? So if we do those things, we care about people, we organize, we align people, we challenge them, and we help them, then to me, that's the kind of leader I'd like to work for. I don't know about you, but that's who I would work for. Yeah, I agree. And you made a good point. I think coaches can make or break a team. And we've seen it with the World Cup. And we've also seen it with in football. I know I watch uh, the Giants a little bit. I'm a Giants fan. And for the past many years, we, under Joe Judge and a couple other coaches, they have not been that well. They've had pretty much no wins and a lot of losses. Their team didn't play well. They made a lot of mistakes. But under just switching out the coach to Brian Dable, they were able to make significant 
impacts on the team, even with little changes in the players. So it really shows how different types of leaders can be. And although the quarterback, Daniel Jones, might not be the best quarterback in the NFL, he is good at leading the team on the field. So I think that does make a lot of sense. And before we wrap it up here, what would be some of your takeaways for the audience? Anything about leadership or leading during a down market or anything like that? Well, let's go back to your point about the coach. Yep. Okay. So one of the greatest coaches in the business field, in the world, I would say I'd put Satya Nadella of Microsoft up against anyone in the world today. Now, when he took over Microsoft after been 14 years of Steve Ballmer, Steve had everything at the top. He was bombastic. He was dynamic. He would shout and scream and jump up and down the stage, you know, but guess what? The stock declined over 14 years. If a stock declines over 14 years, you're not doing a very good job. And he never got him into anything new. Sachin not only changed his strategy, he said, we're going to, you have to have empathy to work here. You have to care about your teammates and you have to care about your customers. He totally changed the culture from a group of know-it-alls that thought they were God's gift to creation, as Sachin told me from my book, to, to learn it all. We have to be a learning organization. We're constantly learning. Are you learning, Seamus? I'm learning. You know, I've been around a lot older than you, longer than you have, but I can tell you, I'm constantly learning. And that's the whole idea of write the book, the Emerging Leader Edition, True North, is to help people learn about themselves and about how the world works so they can become great leaders. So my purpose in life and leadership has been to enable people to reach their full potential. Now, you may say, well, Bill, you did that after you left Medtronic. Actually, I did it starting in, in high school and college. I would be the, the one that was tutoring people struggling in high school. And in college, I could see people coming along and had great leadership potential. And I'd sit down and say, do you realize what you could do? I was trying to pull gifts out of them that were there that they didn't even see they had. They didn't even see their potential. Maybe they came from a small town and they didn't realize what they could do if they got opened up to the world. And I've done that. I did it at Medtronic. I was not the expert there in anything. What I did at Medtronic was try to help develop the leaders to reach their full potential that could lead our company. We grew 18% compounded over a 20-year period with my successor, myself, and my predecessor. And, and my predecessor. Hey, that's pretty good. In today's world, not many companies can do it over, maybe do it for five years, seven years, but not 20. And we did that because we had to develop, we developed a leadership team that continued to like, allow the growth of the company by building for the future, putting their own egos aside. And that's why I say, if you have that hubris or you, you you put your ego in front of the company, you shouldn't work there. You should move on. I've told a lot of CEOs I'm coaching right now, look, if all the people on your team are not willing to put the company first, then they should move on. And don't feel bad about letting them go. You'll find someone else who's willing to do it and maybe better talent. Definitely. Passion and empathy are two big ones there, along with curiosity. You always have to be consistently yes. learning about No, curiosity things. is great. That is the learning quality. Yeah. Is I'm curious. I'm curious about how a young guy like you does so well. I'm curious about that because maybe that sets the stage on how people become entrepreneurs. You see what I mean? And yeah. how do you stay grounded? And how do I help other people stay grounded in their beliefs and their values? Right. Even I know I went to a college tour and there was this, the student was studying in medicine and I wanted to connect with the student who was touring the campus, but I didn't really know what, where to do that. Cause I'm currently in business and the sectors I'm looking at has nothing to do with the medicine field. 
But after some conversations, I learned that he was actually part of a team that was developing a set of medical technology that they were testing in the University of Penn's campuses. And then I started to connect on that with other types of companies I've had on the podcast that were developing med tech companies, for example, with Levels. And then we just had a great conversation around that. And that's during that day, I learned it doesn't have to just be people in your industry. It could be anyone from anywhere that you can learn from. So yeah, I think those are some great points. And also, there's a tremendous number of scientists, engineers, doctors that invent things that don't have a clue how they're going to take them to market. So somebody's got the business skills to do that and not overspend and target and what are the steps and the patients to go through that. And I saw we Medtronic acquired a lot of entrepreneurial-based companies that were some of them highly successful, some of them we passed on because they had an idea that never had been fully developed. Definitely. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps it up for today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review down below. And uh, while you're at it, check out the Emerging Leader Edition of True North by Bill George and Zach Clayton in the episode description down below. Well, first off, Professor George, it was an honor to have you back on the show today, and uh, I greatly appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Seamus. Not often you get invited back, so <laughs> I consider it a privilege. Appreciate it. 